Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. What are we talking about today? <laughs> as, if you, as if you can even answer that question. <laughs> you mean how we just had an entire conversation about how there's way too much to cover in this episode? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was referencing the off-mic conversation about um, <laughs> how this episode has an identity crisis. It certainly does. So today we're discussing season one, episode seven, called Justice the one in which Picard meets God, but it could have had about seven alternate <laughs> titles mm -hmm. yes, because so much happens in it. So strap in, uh, esteemed guests, we have a very long recap and uh, what might be either one or two very long episodes, depending on how much we can get through today. Exactly. Ooh, and before we even start, I just want to note that the description for this episode is after dropping off some colonists in a nearby system, the crew visits a world of beautiful, healthy, tanned, human-looking people. And from that alone, I was like, I could talk for an hour just about the description. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Picard got like, you know, captain's log and then he, like... <laughs> one sentence of it and I was like okay I'm like seriously <laughs> taking notes yes I messaged Mike and I was like I'm 43 seconds into this episode and I already have enough for an entire show like <laughs> I don't know I I was like maybe the rest of uh red shirt collective is just this episode this episode yeah really. <laughs> that's what really. it is forever yeah <laughs> all right well let's get into the recap the episode opens with the Enterprise, having just dropped off some colonists, discovering a brand new M-class planet that's inhabited and unusually lovely. As always, the inhabitants of this planet are nearly identical to humans. <laughs> Dr. Bev Crusher comes to the bridge and urges the captain to approve shore leave for the crew, saying that establishing the colony has been exhausting, having to shuttle all those colonists on a ship that's not a supply vessel. You know that colonizer grind is a lot. I, I was lolling. Oh, I can't even say <laughs> lolling. <laughs> I might ask you to edit that out. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> but now you have to leave it in with me saying I that. <laughs> I'm like, well, now that you said that, I have to leave it in. I, I was laughing so hard because that was the weirdest scene, too. And she has this like, very so weird exchange awkward. with Troy. And she's like, it's so hard to colonize. And I was like, wait, you guys are hearing yourselves here, right? <laughs> I feel bad for Bev, too. I feel like they always just have her oddly appearing yeah. and making demands of the captain. Yeah, and having, like, weird lines to deliver. Yeah, just yeah. very strange dialogue. Yeah, yes. I agree. Okay. Commander Will Riker joins everyone on the bridge with the literal biggest shit-eating grin that has ever been on a human's face in the entire history of people. When asked by Picard if the planet is really as good as was in his report, Riker responds... <laughs> Class M, Earth-like, beautiful. It will startle you. And then, and then that guy from Silicon Valley shows up and goes, this guy fucks. 
That was all I could think about. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So Bev jumps on this opportunity to note that this sounds like a wonderful experience for the children on shore leave. Security officer Tashiar cuts in to update the captain on the local laws and customs. She describes them as simple, mostly common sense stuff, but then helmsman Jordi LaForge adds that they are wild in some ways and puritanical in others, saying that they are neat and extremely lawful, but will make love at the drop of a hat. Any hat adds a very horny looking Tasha. <laughs> Picard looks startled and uncomfortable at this information because in my head canon, he's asexual uh. and asks for what negatives there are. None that any of us could find, replies Riker. Picard seems open to the idea of approving shore leave, and Tasha states that they can start with a small group. Despite just being told that everybody on this planet be fucking, Picard asks acting ensign Wesley Crusher, <laughs> aka a child, to join, <laughs> to join the away team so he can evaluate the planet's suitability as a place for young people to relax, which I felt was like the most boomer sentence I've ever heard. Wesley, you, you, you like doing the sex, right? Um, perhaps so you and some other young folks would enjoy doing the relaxing and the sex on this planet. Wesley's eyes light up at the thought of doing science or seeing titties. Who's to know? Picard says if the scans and reports from the away team line up with Riker's reports, then he will gladly approve shore leave, stating, let's just hope it's not too good to be true. That line dun, dun, dun. was so horrible. It was <laughs> so bad. Terrible. Yeah, and the ominous music comes in. I'm like, really? Like, Are we, yeah. are we treating our audience with this level of disrespect? <laughs> It's like, obviously, we know that some drama is going to, some conflict is going to appear in the story. Like, we get it, guys. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> We're then down on the planet, seeing people's tan little butt cheeks bouncing around in the most ludicrous, unsexy, sexy costumes in the history of costumes. Apparently, everyone on this planet runs everywhere, giggling in heterosexual pairs. Grr. <laughs> right. We learn these beings call themselves the Edo. And can we just note quickly that the men that they showed were not really attractive? <laughs> they really were not. Yeah. And I don't want to be an asshole, but it's just like, what is going on here? Yeah. I mean, it always gonna... feels uneven. Like the women are always so beautiful yep. and the men are yep. just like, you know, they're just, I mean, everyone's beautiful. Love uh -huh. yourselves, you know. Uh -huh. But yeah, it's just like if we're talking purely like conventional attraction, eye uh -huh. candy, uh -huh. it's like we could have done better here. Yeah. It and just shows you like where their focus was, well, right? I, I, With I know. casting I, and everything. I feel like you have like, you know, the, the blonde bombshell, whatever, you know, trope in, in the one main character. And then you have like Rick from accounting. <laughs> you know? it's like, right it's like no one's like unattractive i'm not calling anyone right, ugly or anything right. but it's just like yeah you just have some regular dude yeah it's <laughs> just yeah looks like he can work in your office building yeah because and then you have women who are just like clearly like actresses and models and you're like what yeah you guys come on yeah, it, which it would have been like kind of a cool body positive sort of thing if they would have had like people mm -hmm. in all different types of bodies. 
yes. on this planet wearing skimpy clothing. But I mean, we can unpack this later, but it's, <laughs> I mean, will we have time? <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? So many unanswered questions already. Yeah. So the the away team beams down, comprised of Riker, Worf, Tasha, Wesley, and Counselor Deanna Troy. Two of the Edo come running up to greet them. And when I tell you this poor dude's balls were mashed into this costume, like off to one side, there's like a seam up the middle. I was just like, you poor baby. I'm sorry. And his costume was cut so low. You could see the top line of his pubes. I'm like, what is going on? It's like, this is not sexy, but it's so gratuitous. It's just so revealing. Yeah. But like not sexy. Like if you're going to wear something that revealing, you want to feel good. And I'm just like, oh, these poor people, these poor actors. So Riker lecherously eyes the female Ido's body and comments that they are certainly fit. Deanna looks irritated by this, uh, steps forward to look at the male Ido and pointedly remarks, they certainly are, to which Riker gives her an inscrutable look. The female Ido runs up to Riker and runs her hands sensually all over his chest, exclaiming that he returned his promise. He literally groans as she embraces him. And Deanna looks extremely uncomfortable. I think you can see her eyes go dead for a minute. Huh? It's really a very awkward scene, and I yes. hated every second of it. Uh-huh. Riker makes introductions, and we find out the male Edo named Leotor walks up to... De- well, we find out the male Edo's name is Leotor. He walks up to Deanna like she's a wild animal in the zoo with his hand up in the air and a gesture of non-confrontation while he says, Slowly slowly and then proceeds to sniff and maybe lick her neck or something deanna being the absolute shade queen that she is pats his shoulder in an open palm there there gesture while leaning away grimacing demisexual me would have kicked him in his barely covered testicles (laughs) then he walks up to tasha saying it's nice to see her again and gives her a sensual embrace while she grins like a schoolgirl. Deanna, when asked what she's picking up from the people, declares that she's sensing healthy sensuality, mainly friendship, and uh, happiness. The female Ido, whose name is Riven, 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 Riven. Riven. <laughs> I'm leaving this in. I literally went back and listened to it again, and I still can't remember. It's like Reven, I think. We're we're leaving it in because it doesn't fucking matter to (laughs) anything else that happens in this episode. It's like, why do they even have names, you know? I honestly, (laughs) I never needed to know their names. (laughs) All right, we're going to go with Reven Uh because I think that's what it was. Oh, God. So Reven wraps herself around Worf, sensually embracing him while excitedly calling him the huge one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I have notes. Uh, Worf, in his typical hilarious deadpan manner, says, nice planet. Delivering (laughs) the single best moment in this entire episode. The whole episode. It was so good. Yeah. When Reven asks, or when Reven gets to Wesley, she remarks that he is young and she doesn't know the appropriate customs regarding love for him. Wesley stammers out, whatever you usually do, and she gives him a chaste hug. (laughs) 
<laughs> Riker finally brings up their purpose there, which is to see if they're okay with people visiting for shore leave, and if so, how many. The Edos are super cash about it and are like, we can go talk about it in cancel chambers, or we could fuck right here, right now. <laughs> Raven and Leotor become worried at the crew's uncomfortable expressions and start guessing at who enjoys playing at love. And my God, can you imagine a more uncomfortable work trip? Wesley is creeped out, so he's like, I'm going to bounce. And Raven's like, oh, shit, this is unfair to him because I guess the kid can't join in with his superiors in a fuck pile. <laughs> so she decides they'll go to the cancel chambers instead, informing Wesley that there are kids his age there, to which he hilariously responds, well, I can't make any promises. That's my little demisexual king. Oh, man. I mean, I I was like, I was like thinking that that teenage me was just like, mm -hmm. Wesley, dude, just go all in right here. It's <laughs> like, this is your chance, man. Like, this is why I love Wesley, because he's like, ew, no, I don't. I, yeah. I know I'm not ready for that. And I was like, mm, yeah. my little hero. But yeah, I was like, also, I thought it was nice that I thought they would have taken the opportunity to like make a man of him or yeah. enforce that kind of toxic masculinity. And it was really yep. nice to me that they didn't do that. It's yeah. like the one thing I'll give this episode. As much as Riker was perving out, you you had <sighs> at least like the sanctity of, of Wesley just not like not buying into that mm -hmm. and not being and really not being pressured to. Yeah, which is very nice. Mm -hmm. Leotor laughs condescendingly at Wesley and says that their roles are simple and that no one does anything uncomfortable to them except apparently get their necks licked while they're working and have their sexual appetites evaluated in front of their coworkers and a child. But anyway, <laughs> I have so many notes about consent. We'll get to that later. They all run off, literally run off, to the council chambers where the crew offered the nearly naked people inside with the instructions to enjoy what we have. That was kind of weird. I thought the yeah. running thing was, was just like so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it was very funny. They're like, it's our way. We run. Mm -hmm. Unless you, do you not run? And Wesley's like, oh, do we not run? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you running, guys. <laughs> He's like, listen, I'm not ready for the sex, but I can sure run. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't challenge my masculinity about running. And make baseball references that clearly no one <laughs> understands. <laughs> well, that's the Enterprise way is just to is. constantly reference things that other people don't know what they are. Yeah, like when Riker's even like, happened. Riker's yeah, like, in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> and Worf's like, what What's, the fuck what the are you fuck talking Rome? about? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I always picture the Enterprise are like Americans where mm -hmm. it's like no matter where we go, we just reference the same shit and just expect everyone has yeah. the same cultural references as us. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And people end up actually knowing what we're talking about because we so aggressively we so much. <laughs> right, colonize the planet with our culture. <sighs> so I just want to pause here to say that there has been nary a single person of color on this entire planet so far. So just poor Worf, as usual, uh -huh. swimming in white people shenanigans. Uh -huh. Back on the Enterprise, Jordy and Data are trying to figure out a supposed glitch that they picked up on earlier when they detected that something they couldn't see was orbiting the planet. They've determined that this is not a glitch or a malfunction or any kind of error. 
Jordy calls it a shadow something, and Data says it's out as if it's neither in nor out of their dimension. They send a message to the object requesting it identify itself, and a partially translucent structure appears right in front of them. The Enterprise goes on red alert for some reason, like all this thing did was appear, but <laughs> Picard freaked out. The object had sent a message back when hailed, but it was unintelligible to them, so Data sends it through their language and logic circuits to try to translate it. In the meantime, Picard asked Jordy to have a real look at the object, which I thought was kind of cute. Oh, okay. I was confused. I was like, what does he mean a real look? I mm. Yeah, anyway. He was saying use his... Uh... Spectral analysis. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. So Jordy runs a complete spectral analysis and becomes the third person to say it's like the object is not really there. Yeah. Data translates some of the messages simply stand by, and then we see a small ball of light is coming out of the object towards the Enterprise before appearing in one of the Enterprise's corridors. The ship immediately loses contact with the away team, and the going orb rises up out of the floor in front of Jordy and Data on the bridge and moves to hover in front of Picard. A male voice comes booming out of it saying, State the purpose. <laughs> and the ship <laughs> shakes and it's all very yeah. dramatic. Yes. <laughs> Which they actually did a really good job. It really did feel like the voice was like that powerful and overwhelming yeah i mean there was there was a real vibe of like charlton heston 10 commandments mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing absolutely yeah. yeah it then elaborates with less drama state the purpose of what you have done picard starts yammering about the federation but the orb doesn't want to hear any of that it asks why they've come to visit picard says for peaceful contact and answers no when asked by the orb if they plan to leave life forms on this planet the orb pushes back, saying they did more at the world they just left, that they left their life forms there. Data and Picard explain that that world was uninhabited, so they planted a colony there. Making the orb the only one to actually question the rampant space colonization <laughs> being carried out by Starfleet. Yes. Thank you, orb. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, orb. Picard then bumbles his way through some weird, frantic explanation that the people who were left on the previous planet had sought the challenge, well, or that's the basic reason at least, sought the challenge to create a new lifestyle, a new society there. Jordy looks at Picard like he's lost his entire mind. Picard goes on to dig himself into a deeper hole while Data also looks on like, dude, stop talking, saying that life on our world is driven to protect itself by seeding itself as widely as possible, <laughs> which I feel like I could write an entire thesis on. That, yeah, yeah. So that's a virus. You just described a virus or like weeds. I don't feel that this is a good argument for, you know, a sentient, highly powerful life no. form. But I, I, I wrote in my notes, I was like, Picard just said the quiet part out loud yes. right here. Right? <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, so, okay, so it, it, that's exactly what you said. It's a, That's what a virus does. And yeah. Picard basically just like, Starfleet is a virus seeking to infect the entire universe. I mean, that's manifest destiny. Absolutely. Like, this, we're still doing that in space. It's not good. This whole thing about, like, carving out a life and this sort of, like, accepting the mm -hmm. challenge. Yeah, you're right. It is very very manifest destiny. Um, this is all rooted in American colonialism. Um, and and I, I mean that in the earliest days of, of colonizing North America by Europeans. 
Yeah. And yeah, I was like, whoa. Like, like I actually stopped watching the episode for a second, looked at the person next to me on the train, wanting them to react with me <laughs> because this was very <laughs> shocking. <laughs> like, did you see what just happened? She was eating her tart and did not turn around. So I went back to looking at the, <laughs> the paused screen. I was like, did he seriously just say that? Yeah, it was very shocking. Yeah. There were a lot of those little moments in this episode yeah. where I was like, whoa, okay. Did you they just, just say said that? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To this, the orb growls, do not interfere with my children below, and then floats over to Data and starts communicating with him silently somehow, asking if Data was constructed for information exchange. Picard tells Data to see if he can find out more about whatever is out there, and Data nods just before the orb flies into and sticks to his forehead, <laughs> knocking him on his back and knocking him the fuck out. Mm -hmm. That was a good fall. Data has the best falls. He has the best falls. Because he always has to fall like he's just dead, you Stiff know? Stiff as a board, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Back down on the planet, we join up with Wesley and the children. The girl in the group tells Wesley she wants to do something with him. And when he extremely hesitantly asks for more details, she just cryptically says it's something he can teach her and again asks for his consent. This isn't how consent works, but more on that later. Mm -hmm. Wesley very cutely responds that there are some games he doesn't quite know yet. <laughs> but she then clarifies that she means playing ball, which she should have just said in the first fucking place. Mm -hmm. Wesley says if they get a bat, he can show them his favorite ball game. And expl after explaining what a bat is, the girl says they can get something like that in the gardens. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we then get a scene between Worf and Riker where we learn that Worf doesn't like fucking Earth females because they're too fragile and he has to restrain himself too much. So now we oh know God. that Twilight is actually Klingon fan fiction and Edward could never... You may not get that joke, but I, someone out there will get that joke. I don't get joke. the reference, but that, that's actually why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Riker said if anyone else had said that, he'd think they were bragging, and I vomit for probably the fifth time this episode. I, I was actually at this point just shocked about the way that they did that, and I just felt like it was so offensive. It's honestly like a little triggering for me. Yeah. This kind of stuff, and it's just... Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to explain how violent this episode was to me yeah. um, to other people who like don't get it, you know? Yeah, it's the it's a subtle kind of thing, but it's like something you're just so inundated with all the time and it's so normalized. And that's what's so violent about it. It and it's hurtful in the way that this is just such a thing that. Um, especially men do behind closed doors, this kind of like mm -hmm. locker room talk or this coded language, like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge um, about sexual violence. And I just found that so rapey and offensive in this episode that yeah. it was, it, and then like that Michael Dorn was, was, you know, subjected to that like treatment yeah. as an actor in that situation I was, it was just very like, racially coded. Yeah, there was just there was so much about that. <clears throat> it the whole thing was just very not okay. Yeah, yeah. Riker tries to make contact with the Enterprise, and that's when the away team finally realizes that they have lost contact with the ship. Deanna senses that there's a problem by being within earshot and overhearing their conversation, so she comes over to check in on them, and they decide to get everyone together in the same place until they figure out what's going on. 
So they run off to go get Wesley, the boy, who has, quote unquote, wandered off, according to Worf. He didn't wander off, you fucks. Y'all were about to start pulling your dicks out, and he left. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I thought that was so like patronizing. It's like you guys were literally talking about fucking, and he was like, "I, I need to I, go." I'm gonna go. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> he's not a toddler. He didn't just like wander off. Right. right. <sighs> anyway, Worf goes over to get Tasha Yar to inform her of what's going on, and she pulls him into a conversation with Leotor and Reven. Leotor states that they have no crime whatsoever on the planet, but that they used to. But it stopped a long time ago. They don't have any police, but instead have a handful of mediators and a punishment zone that is chosen at random each day. This is sounding quite sus. The sus is confirmed when the pair quite joyfully reveals that no one risks ever risks breaking any law because the punishment for any crime is death. Worf is quite alarmed by this and realizes they need to get Wesley's cl- clumsy ass out of there. And also, it's just the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous claim ever, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in a little bit when we talk about the the ham-handed dealing with capital punishment that went on in this yes. episode. It was very ham-handed. Uh-huh. And also the random punishment zones didn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, actually, I have, don't worry, I can, I can clarify that. Okay, good. Yeah. As predicted, we catch up, hehe. <laughs> With Wesley tossing a ball around with the other kids or two teenage looking people and one fully adult looking man. As soon as they finished this, they were they were going to go off and film a high school musical style Disney show. Porno? Where all the, where all the, the high schoolers are 30 year old men. <laughs> yes. It's quite uncomfortable when all of them are wearing very little clothes yeah. and you're like... It's just These are not to be working children? for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wesley tells them to, to throw the ball ahead of him as he runs to catch it without looking where he's going. He leaps up and crashes his entire body through a small greenhouse enclosure. We find out from the kids' panic screams that disturbing new plants is forbidden, so we know Wes is in some trouble. Uh-huh. We see what must be mediators tearing ass towards the children, and the girl child starts screaming, Oh no! Oh, please no! Wes, bless his little heart, just keeps repeating that he's fine, not understanding he's about to be extremely not fine. <laughs> I didn't think about that. He's like, Oh, I'm okay. Thanks for. Yeah, he's your like, concern. Guys, I keep telling you I'm fine. <laughs> And it's like, oh, Wesley. Riker and Deanna come running up as Wesley explains he fell by accident. The mediators are shocked. He admits it freely. And Wes, like a little baby clown, says, I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) Just then, Tasha runs up with Worf and warns Riker that the Edo have some strange laws. When Riker justifiably asks her why this information was missing on her report, Uh she says the Edo listed nothing about punishment, which... Really? You didn't ask? Like, that isn't a standard question when checking out someone's laws? Right. (sighs) One of the mediators moves to execute Wesley, and Riker punches him on the shoulder, (laughs) knocking him down somehow, (laughs) while Worf and Tasha pull out their phasers and brandish them at the mediators. The mediators are quite hurt emotionally by the kerfuffle, (laughs) and everyone seems at a stalemate. Riker tries to contact the Enterprise, but comms are still down. 
After the commercial break, we find ourselves back on the bridge with Data still knocked out with a sentient bubble squatting on his forehead. Just as Picard confirms that comms are still down, the bubble suddenly floats away and comms come back on. Riker and Tasha inform the captain that he's needed down on the planet, but make sure to keep it vague so Beverly Crusher doesn't know her son is in mortal danger and panic. Captain Picard joins everyone on the planet and they sit down to discuss. The Edo defend their ways, and we learn from Picard that humans no longer execute anyone. He makes a strange comment that they can detect the seeds of criminal behavior. Oh my gosh. (laughs) More on that later. Yeah, and all of us suddenly think of Tom Cruise and Minority Report. Literally what I wrote in my notes. I was like, (laughs) Minority Report? Question mark? Yeah. But doesn't elaborate if the intervention on these seeds is punitory or rehabilitative, simply stating that this renders capital punishment no longer necessary. Leotor comes to the conclusion from this that they, the Edo, are not as advanced as the Federation yet and suggests that the crew uses their superior technology to beam Wesley out of Edo custody. They can then list him as a convicted criminal, but rescued from the barbarism of their backward little world. <laughs> and I was like, go off, Leotor. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time I've heard someone be really sassy with them. I like, know. I see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and now, okay. Here, if you can believe it, it's where things go off the fucking rails. <laughs> As if they weren't already teetering right on the edge. So even though Leotor is being spicy, this solution he proposed was a serious one and seemed reasonable, right? They're going to register Wesley as a convicted criminal, mm-hmm. but the... Enterprise can take him out of custody by force, and then that way they won't have to, the Edo won't have any conflict with how they handle their laws, right? Because it will be half taken out of their hands. So. (sighs) Which all seems very reasonable, actually. It was very reasonable. I was like, wow, look at this guy. Just, you know, this is a great solution. Yeah. Wonderful. And and really humane. And yeah, anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that was the thing is the Edo were very upset about uh-huh. having to execute Wesley. Like, they weren't happy about it, but uh-huh. they were just like, this is what we have to do to keep our society intact. Uh-huh. So this would allow them to do that. And then they probably just would never let someone back on their planet, which good for them. Right. All right. So, <laughs> so here we are. Picard has just been presented with a very reasonable solution to this dilemma. Picard then tells Leotor that they can't rescue the boy TM because of the prime directive, but then proceeds to tell the Edo about the strange object they encountered orbiting their world, to which they respond, do you mean God? God? So just to, we'll get into this later, but just to like really hammer home my point, Picard says they can't take Wesley out of custody because that would be violating the prime directive by Mm -hmm. interfering in their society Mm -hmm. and then casually proceeds to tell them he just met their God. Yeah. You mean casually proceeds to completely interrupt and disrupt their society? Yes. (laughs) So they define their meaning of God to Picard just as Beverly Crusher hails him, saying that Data just woke up and needs to speak to him urgently. Picard confirms Wesley is safe until sundown and asks one of the Edo to come back with him to the ship. Prime directive. Prime directive. (laughs) (laughs) My jaw was on the floor like the whole rest of this episode. I'm like, 
We'll get to it. Yeah. Raven volunteers to go on the ship and they beam back to the Enterprise. And, and once again, very rationally says, oh, I can see you probably want to take me for collateral As a hostage. against the boy. Yeah. And Picard's like, no, it's not that. And, and she's like, she's looking around like, what is wrong with these? Like she and Leotor are looking at each other like, what is wrong with these people? Like we've proposed so many reasonable solutions to this. Yeah. And they're like, no, no. Which is so funny because they were so infantilized. Yeah. As, you know, a species. But they were the ones who were like, all right, well, here's a very reasonable, workable solution. And Picard's yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. They were the only reasonable ones in this episode. In an episode that, like, touched on religion, too, it's just so funny to see that the religious people were the ones finding compromises, and then the, like, sciencey people were the ones being rigid and adhering to these mandates, right? Right. These, like, commandments that they have to follow. Right, and even, like, like a god in this episode, like, you know, which we'll talk about at the end, but, you know, god's like, okay, all right, dude, I'll be chill. (laughs) You know, I'm like, wait, you guys, wait, what? Anyway. God's like, all right, just uh, just go home and like, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beverly runs into Picard with Reven and Deanna and tells him she just saw the away team report about Wesley being murked, but Picard just casually brushes her off and tells her to wait. <laughs> they go to the starboard, la- starboard lounge where Reven spots the object in the sky and immediately kneels before it with her hands on her heart. She confirms that the object is God and that she knows this because it's appeared before. Just then, God lights up the sky and in a bellowing voice demands, return my child, and begins approaching the Enterprise menacingly. Picard frantically orders Reven beam back down to the planet and the God is quieted. Picard repeats for like the fourth time that he feels bad that Reven had to come on board, but he had to find out what the object is. I know. (sighs) Yeah, that was awful. (laughs) Picard continues to avoid talking to Beverly about Wesley, even though they're now walking alone together towards sickbay to go speak with Data now that he's awake. She begs him to tell her what he'll do if they haven't figured this out by sundown. And Picard's extremely blasé about it and won't really give her a direct answer. But in my mind, insinuates that he would let the boy die to avoid breaking the prime directive. Uh Data is full of information back in sickbay, informing Picard that the strange object is a vessel of sorts, one that's able to be in multiple dimensions at once and therefore in several places at once. They are aware that Ido worship them as gods and consider this entire star cluster theirs. And they're pissed about the colony the Enterprise just helped establish nearby within this star cluster, which Data says perhaps they shouldn't have done. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You think maybe he's on to something, but then he goes on to state there's 3,004 other planets in this area they could have colonized before Picard barks at him, don't babble. Conveniently, Picard discovers from data that the multidimensional beings are observing the Enterprise out of curiosity. They know everything data knows, so they know about the Prime Directive, and if the Enterprise were to violate it, they might judge the Enterprise by its own rules, which, P.S., is exactly what Q did, but whatever. And they are very protective of their children down below, so violating the Prime Directive would make them would make the Enterprise hypocrites and would be disrespecting Edo law, which they surmise could very well lead to retribution from these multidimensional beings. 
Picard later calls Data into his quarters to have a philosophical discussion of sorts about what might be going on in the multidimensional beings' minds, how they might be interpreting the Prime Directive, and what is the value of one life. It's giving me trolley question in space. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Data hypothesizes that the beings may have planted the Edo here to populate the planet, which is why they're so protective of them. Bev comes in to request to go down to the planet, and Picard grants this and says he'll join her. He then finally tells her that he won't allow them to execute Wesley no matter the cost. Once they beam down, Raven comes up and kneels before Picard, declaring the crew gods because they share a sky with God. (laughs) Which feels very violation of Prime Directory to me, but moving on. Uh Although, would not be the first person to claim that Patrick Stewart was God. (laughs) Nor the last. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) that is true. (laughs) Wesley is brought out and asks Picard if he's going to let him die. Picard says no. The mediators balk at the disrespect to their ways. Picard retorts that he also has laws to follow that say to protect his people from harm, to which Leotor responds, we didn't ask you to come here. And truer words have never been spoken before or since in the Star Trek universe. Man, listening to your recap, I'm kind of liking Leotor more and more as the episode goes on. No, Leotor was like... He was awesome. Yeah. He also read a little gay to me, so yeah. maybe I was just partial. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I see you, girl. <laughs> Picard and Riker then mention the Prime Directive, saying that it's another law they must follow and to not interfere with other lives in the galaxy. So if he saves Wesley, he will be breaking that law. It comes up in the conversation that the god floating above may also choose to seek vengeance on the Enterprise if Picard interferes, to which Wesley is alarmed that the crew might die to rescue him, and states that Picard tells him that he's not involved in this decision, to which Wesley sternly retorts, it seems like I am, like the youth icon that he is. You tell him, Wesley. I know. You tell him. Yeah, I'm pretty much involved. (laughs) Like, it's literally his life. Like, how is he not involved? It's like, excuse me, Picard, were you the one who made a baseball reference and then inexplicably started playing American (laughs) football and fell into the flowers? No. Were you the one who had to avoid the sexual advances of a fully grown adult adult, and a similarly aged female youth? No. No. That was me, Picard. Are you the one who had to admit that he's a virgin in front of everybody? (laughs) No. Exactly. So you can just step off, Captain Picard. (laughs) Picard orders the six beamed aboard, but the Enter doesn't jise, and they realize that the multidimensional beings are blocking the transporter. Mm. They continue to have very philosophy 101 debates about (laughs) laws being broken (laughs) versus Wesley not deserving to die versus ignorance of the law being no excuse. (laughs) It it wasn't even philosophy 101. It was like the remedial class that you have to take before you can take 101. It was like you're high and you've seen like a TikTok about something kind of level. And you're just like, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, why does he need to do anything? (laughs) But like, bro, what if you like broke a law, but you didn't know that it was a law? Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) So 
So Picard breaks into all of this to make a plea directly to the listening gods, Mm -hmm. turning his head upward at the sky and everything. Picard states that there can be no justice when laws are absolute, that life itself is an exercise in exceptions. (laughs) You know, someone was like, I fucking nailed it with that one. Oh, oh, yeah. Which actually, it's not a bad line. It's not a terrible line. No. It's but just the context of it. In the context ridiculous. of this episode, it's horrible. Riker murmurs, when has justice been as simple as a rule book? <laughs> and apparently that's all that was needed. The crew is suddenly beamed back aboard the Enterprise and all is well. No Wesley's crush today. <laughs> Picard opens a signal to the multidimensional beings saying he will remove the colonists from the nearby planet if they signal him to do so. The object lights up for a moment and then disappears, which they all take as a yes. Picard expresses that he was hoping to learn more about them and then orders the Enterprise out of there. The fucking end. I was like, this is the most Flintstones, <sighs> Jetsons, Scooby-Doo bullshit of an ending. Hmm, it's really a shame. I was hoping to know more about them. Warp speed, you know, <laughs> engage. <laughs> it's, but it's even more comical than that. He doesn't even say anything like meaningful. No. He just goes... I was hoping we might learn more about it. But since we can't, take us out of here, number one. Gladly, yeah. sir. <laughs> and they Never go off to pick up the done. colonists. Yeah. It just was so ridiculous. And to me, the most ridiculous part was like, okay, you've just interfered in this planet, violated the prime directive. A child was almost killed. And your thought of all of this is that you wanted the godlike entity to hang out longer so that you could get to know it better yeah and like interfere even more it was like get the fuck out of here dude yes yes <laughs> like you've done enough for one day go I, home i know the god being was like didn't even want to talk again it's just like flash yeah. a light at him you know whatever they do who cares at this point <laughs> just as long as they leave we're out of here oh these humans uh, okay, well, should we, Nick, should we dive into some analysis of this disaster zone of an episode? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know where, where to start. Where begin? There are, like, <laughs> probably at least 10 distinct threads that we could pull on, at least. Yeah. Well, I just talked a lot. Do you want to kick us off with something? Well, I will, and I'm going to hand it right back over to you, but... Um, <laughs> But I, so I'm so I'm watching this the the delivering a party of Earth colonists bit. Yes, and I'm like, why are there trying to be generous? I'm like, why are there Earth colonists? Why are they getting delivered by Starfleet? What is the level of consent involved in this? Why is this just a casual comment without any interrogation? Couldn't we at least think of a different word to use than colonist? As I'm thinking this, camera pans to masculine authoritative Picard standing with arms crossed. No, no, apparently we can't. Definitely we cannot. <laughs> no. This is absolutely overt colonization. And yeah. here's Picard as the master of the universe, you know, standing there in all of his glory. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, I feel like we've said it a million times, but it bears repeating here that colonization is represented as just kind of a neutral good. Yeah. You know, it's this thing that's accepted that that of course they would be doing. And it's it is occasionally somewhat challenged within the storyline of an episode, but it Uh never in any significant way and never has any lasting repercussions for Uh the actions of Starfleet or the Enterprise. 
and it's not even presented simply as as exclusively a neutral good. It's actually as a necessity almost because the analogy you made to the virus, mm-hmm. it's it's almost as if it's saying that it's the imperative of humans to go colonize other places. And it's like, no, that's that's actually a very, very, very particular time and place in the historical record that, that you see that happening in a very particular way that's being modeled by Starfleet. So it it really isn't ever critiqued. And that was one of the things that bugged me so much about reading reviews on this episode, because I was like, I got to just look at what people are saying about this episode. And I, I, well, looking up reviews, like everyone's like, oh, the episode's so bad, or the episode's so terrible. But like nobody talks about the colonizing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no critique of that. It's almost like we've all just accepted that colonization is great and fine. Let's let's just roll with that. Well, that's the biggest reason, honestly, that I wanted to start this podcast, besides uh-huh. the fact that it's so fucking fun, uh-huh. is that <laughs> when I was re-watching this last year by myself, I looked up some stuff. You know, uh-huh. I would Google things about the Prime Directive or I would yeah. Google, like, what is the Enterprise exactly? Like, is it a paramilitary operation? Like, you know, yeah. what? It, like, get more details and... What I encountered online was just a ton of people being absolutely furious if you critiqued the colonizing aspects of this organization at all. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, obviously we need to create, not that no one's done it, but we need to create more spaces where not just that we have room to critique that, but like that is the priority of what we're doing is critiquing Mm -hmm. the neocolonial aspect Mm -hmm. of the show. And I think that Yar um, summed it up really perfectly when she was giving the, the spirit of what you've just said. Yar sums up perfectly when she describes the customs of the planet as common sense. Mm-hmm. And we get this kind of coded neutrality applied to what is a particularly Euro culture, which we've simply exported to space in the distant future. And the idea of common sense by itself is such an absurdity in this context. How can you have common sense when you're dealing with intergalactic, um, you know, communications? Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying. The idea that we even have a common sense, the idea that that this would just go unquestioned as, you know, a, a noble mission is a little bit, um, well, not a little bit, it's a lot wild. <laughs> It's quite wild. Yeah. Also, I I just, I had to ask the question too. Like, I got what the writers were getting at. You can't throw out wacky costumes for every episode. And and so a lot of the people you encounter are going to look like humans. I I get it. And I do respect that. That's probably a tough thing to do as writers on a limited budget, knowing what, you know, what your visual effects can and can't be. But it's, it's like... I don't know, like, why are we making a show about space exploration if every if what we're really doing is like just repeating everybody being like Earthlings all the time, you know? Like, yeah. they, they didn't develop this planet at all. It's just this like place, you know? That's yeah, just it like just Earth. looks like a regular fucking park or something. Yeah. yeah. And everyone just like they didn't even bother, you know, you could just do a little like give me the little wrinkles on the nose or give me a sure. bigger ear or like whatever, yeah. you know, you could do small things to be like, Oh yeah, they're very humanoid, but obviously there's going to be some slight differences. Mm-hmm. 
And there's just nothing. They're yeah. just like, no, we're just using humans again. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's it. Uh-huh. And I really hate that because the human becomes this uh, problematic default as it is. Uh-huh. Like you see on this planet, they're human looking and it's just every social construct we have is just automatically applied to them and then accepted. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, well, they can be human looking, but they still are alien. Yeah. And that should be, I I think, ties into what you're saying. Like, that should be a consideration. You can't just say they're human looking. So that means that all of these things that we commonly expect from humans, they also have. Right. Like, even their sense of sexuality was framed in our understanding of sexuality. But, like, for them, it probably... They don't have the same history we have. So... Of course not. It would would just have a completely different context for them. Mm -hmm. Also, this is a petty nitpick, but I fucking hate when people call sex love. Oh, I can't stand that. It makes me... I know that a lot of it's probably censorship stuff, Mm -hmm. but it still just makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know why. It just, it feels like manipulative to me. Well, it's that... rooted in the very specific definition and ethic of what counts as, yes. as sex. Yeah. Because he was saying make love and it's like, they're well, if they're just like fucking all over the place, yeah. like. Let's call it what it is. Well, and, and that, that was actually one of the points. I mean, we'll get into the sex stuff later because there's a lot to say there. It's but a lot. Th- I, that's one of the points that I was thinking of an advantage of science fiction is you get to explore problems that we deal with as humans here on earth on a daily basis in a different context. And so when I first started rewatching this episode, I was thinking, oh, this is exciting. We're going to get to explore sexual ethics in a super interesting way because they're going to take it intergalactic, you know, in a way that they can get away with without it being on HBO or without a bunch of, you know, male gazy sex scenes or something and instead, they just did male gazy scenes um, and, <laughs> and you know, like California surfers with bleached blonde hair and, and you know. And Rick from accounting. And Rick from accounting in his toga, you know, <laughs> left over from the Animal House watch party. And you know, and they're just kind of like frolicking about. And I was like, ah, that, wow, like, obviously understatement of the, of the day here, but like missed opportunity here to really explore something in space. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, like the consent stuff that was brought up, it's like, that's interesting. That was interesting. Follow that thread. And like, do you guys have rape? Does that exist? Like, how do you handle that when that happens? Or, you know, this idea of consent, like what does that really mean in your culture Uh and how do you express it? Uh And all of that. And I think that's what bothers me about the love aspect because Uh I can see you know some some people who participate in like very open sexual practices Uh do consider that a part of like loving other people Uh but for me because it was so male gazy that's Uh why I think it felt manipulative to me yeah it felt like Gene Roddenberry was like sweaty mitts were on my face just being like oh this is love like I just love women and love everything you know and it's just like this isn't love <laughs> it's, just, it's like the, the creepy guy in the group of hippies who's like a little a little too into the free love thing yeah <laughs> you're, you're, you're exactly. just kind of like 
okay, it's not really cool when you talk about it, dude. Like, that's just kind of disturbing. I think men who can't, like, get emotional intimacy, so they Mm. just are constantly seeking sexual intimacy. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, there's always this leak, like... Emotional intimacy does leak into the sexual experience because Mm -hmm. it's the only time they feel that they can get that. And then they just like ditch you afterwards. Mm -hmm. And you, it it is this like, it's this thing that a lot of us have to grapple with where you feel like you've been sexually assaulted because you feel like you had sex under these false pretenses Mm. of how this person was engaging with you, the kinds of things they were saying to you or part of what went into your decision to sleep with them hmm. and then it's just cut off after coldly and it's like that's not love but those kind of people i feel are the kind of people who will talk like oh i just have so much love and i just want to like love everyone i don't want to like hem myself in yeah. and it's like i'm 100 percent support of non-monogamy and polyamory and all of it but it's like that's not what that is though like no. you're just literally using people because you haven't done the work on yourself to Tell your guy friend that maybe you just need a hug or that you're sad today. Yeah. So you do all of that with women who you can't commit to because you have, you know, you have these fears and you just want to be free and like fuck everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're, you're like terrorizing everyone with your emotional needs instead of just like expressing them and getting them met. And mm-hmm. I just, I know I'm like going very wide on this, but it, I think knowing Gene Roddenberry's history and like knowing Berman and his, you know, work and what comes through in it, it just reads very much that to me. And Uh I think knowing the generation that they're in is very much that generation of men who just like cannot like just be vulnerable and, and constantly have this like craving for connection that they feel that they can't, this is the only way that they can meet it is just by like fucking everybody and calling it love. Yeah. But not actually treating people with respect. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that resonates. And in the episode, they had so many opportunities to explore what a free love society mm-hmm. might look like. And when I say free love, I'm, you know, that's not really great terminology, but a society in which sexual ethics differ from ours and, explore that a little bit and see, you know, what, what is, what is intimacy? Because that was one of the notes I wrote down was, you know, these other places are going to have different definitions of things like intimacy. They're going to have different regulations around things like not regulations, but different, um, you know, moral and ethical codes around reproduction. Um, yes. And Riker has that horrid line where he's talking to Worf and he's like, what about just plain old sex? (laughs) <laughs> you know, when, when he's talking about yeah. Klingons and I just thought how ridiculous that line was because clearly he means penis in vagina, um, penetra- pen- penetrative heterosexual sex. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, that's not even sex. Like that's not the definition of sex. You know what I mean? Right. And B like, how would you be talking to to this guy like you're in a locker room after a high school football game instead of like talking to your intergalactic space colleague who comes from a vastly different culture 
like, wouldn't a more interesting question be like, oh, that's interesting. How do you define intimacy? How do Klingons consider emotional intimacy? Or how do they, what, what constitutes a sexual relationship for Klingons? Like, that, that would have been a way more fascinating question and way less rapey and gross and just generally... Um, less violent. Yeah, generally less violent, exactly. Um, and th that was one of the things that really disappointed me in this episode. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was just like, I see that this is going to somehow take a turn where where we're all supposed to be looking at this society of like very amorous people, very open with their affections and think of them as like a little bit weird and, and wacky um, mm -hmm. because they don't do this stuff behind closed doors like they should do like proper people, which is again, linking back to colonization because of course that was this idea of like, you know, which I know you know way more than I do about this, but the sexualization of breasts, for example, this idea that women are supposed to cover up um, the kind of like, you know, innate pedophilia and, and involved in that, how that's linked into sex work and prostitution. I mean, there's just mm -hmm. so much behind that, that I think to a casual observer watching this, they'd be like, wow, what a, what a horrible episode. But as you pointed out before, it's not a horrible episode. It's a violent episode. There's sexual violence yeah. actually just underneath the, the surface of this horrible episode. Yeah, for me, it started when they're like, oh, we just stumbled onto this planet that no one's discovered, you know, no one, at least in our Federation has discovered before. We don't know anything about it. Uh -huh. And the first impulse is like, oh, it's pretty and people fuck everyone there. So like, let's go on vacation uh -huh. to this planet. And sex tourism is a huge part of colonization. Yeah. It's, you know, a, a thing that has continued to this day and still constantly happens. Uh -huh. And it's enforced through all kinds of different methods, you know, debt, uh -huh. uh, military installments, all kinds of things. But it's this idea that when you stumble onto a new people who aren't your people, uh -huh. they're there for you to ogle, uh -huh. fuck purchase mm -hmm. put to work mm -hmm. you know you can take their land and it just the the casualness with which picard and beverly are just talking about like taking shore leave because they tripped onto this planet to blow off just some was steam so disgusting to me and it's also just out of sync with what we have seen or will see in other other episodes where first contact is supposed to be kind of a big deal yeah. And here it was like first contact is just us scouting to see if we can take a vacation here. Yeah. And maybe fuck the local wildlife, you know? Yeah. It's like it was sex tourism, like you said. It wasn't even yeah, it, like it was they didn't even try to hide that. It was just like a like like how would you be okay with that? Even even Picard, like, like how would you be okay with people being like, Oh, well, they make love at the drop of a hunt, huh, huh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like if you're a responsible captain, you'd be like okay, no one's going down to that planet. Right? Exactly. Like, this is not, you don't know what, like, that's that's a total violation of this culture. Like, just because they have certain customs and practices doesn't mean that you're now invited 
to just go suddenly start partaking in that. Like we don't know anything you, you, that's so yeah. disrespectful to this to this group. Like they never talk about birth control. Yeah. And yet Riker goes and fucks everyone on every fucking planet. Every time they discover anybody anywhere, yeah. Riker's fucking them. Yeah. And it's like that wouldn't violate the prime directive. Yeah. You having sex with these people that you know nothing about uh-huh. and potentially getting one of them pregnant. Like uh-huh. that doesn't violate the prime directive. And you know in their heads, they're probably just like, oh, space birth control. Like, we just assume there's some way for them to completely control, you know, reproduction, which, okay, maybe, probably there Mm -hmm. is, but there's STDs. There's just the fact that you have different bacteria in your body and are exposed to different things. I mean, even on the same planet, this is a way that we had biological warfare with colonization. It's right. just literally bringing germs that people hadn't been exposed to before. Right. So you're telling me you're going and you're just fucking people of other species and like that's fine and safe. Yeah. And you can just do that. Yeah. And it's casual. It's like no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind like intergalactic space smallpox, you know, it's just kind of yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're just... And again, maybe they have vaccines and stuff, but it's like you don't you don't know what someone else is going to react to. That's the whole point uh-huh. is that things that may not be germs to us or things that may not be harmful to us could be harmful to someone else. And we just won't know that. Uh-huh. And so it just feels like I know this is like very technical and taking the fun out of you know, the premise of Star Trek was just like bouncing around planet to planet and discovering new people. But that's kind of the point. Uh (laughs) It's also like, it shouldn't be this fun, casual thing. It's very disturbing to me that literally, I just can't get over the fact that they saw this planet, Riker goes down and just comes back and they're like, cool, yeah, let's just like have a vacation here. Uh Let's let's let everyone on the ship just go onto this planet that we know nothing about. And do what they want. And it was never said explicitly, but it seemed very implicit to me that the crew, I, I felt that the context of like when the away team came back to the ship to report on the planet. Uh Uh-huh made it feel like they had had sex with these people. Oh, 100%. But then when they were then when they go back to the planet, they said stuff that made it seem like they hadn't. Mm-hmm. But they definitely talked about it where it was like, yeah. "Oh, you came back." Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't, you know, another thought about that was who gets a sexuality, who gets to have a sexuality mm-hmm. in this episode and who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought it was interesting, like Wesley, I was, I was wondering about like, like they didn't really say anything about it. It was just supposed to be kind of like Wesley was awkward. Um, that would not have been me at that age. Um, I did not see myself in that character in that moment. <laughs> um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. And so it got me thinking about that's interesting Um, but then the way that like assumptions were made about Worf's sexuality or about, uh, about Troy's and Riker's sexuality, um, you know, like, like Worf and and Tasha's and, you know, Worf having to say like, um, I am not concerned with pleasure commander. I am a warrior. Um, (laughs) and then like, and then like, you know, like we talked about before Riker saying even Klingon need, need love. And then Worf saying for that, I need a woman. I'm just like. Like all all of that just, it it reinforces a binary that as we've said before in previous episodes is just patently absurd 
that a gender binary exists in all of the species in all of the, the known universe. It doesn't imagine anything about, like we said before, pleasure or um, relationships or any of that. And I get the, the whole sense that there's just this kind of like winking and giggling going on here between the writers in the, in the writer's room. And, and it's very much like a boys club kind of locker room, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, how big is that guy's hands <laughs> type of thing, you know, where everyone's sort of hinting at stuff without just without just saying it. And I, I, I it bothered me about this episode. Yeah, that bothered me as well. And they they do the same thing that they do in every episode where they're trying to do feminism or something uh-huh. where, you know, it's like acknowledge that Deanna is like a very sexual person, even though she never outright says it. There's always these little context clues, uh-huh. which like I actually don't mind because she does seem like she would be a very sensual, sexual person. Sure. And she seems to have very relaxed views about like polyamory and stuff which makes sense for her Betazoid background. Yeah. Um, So it's all very in character, but it's just like the way that Tasha is just so highly sexualized. Like, of course, Tasha is the one who's just all horned up and like wants to go down and fuck. Of course. Yeah. And anyway, so you can see that in their minds, this is probably like feminism. It's like, look, the women want it too. Uh But it's like that. (laughs) It's more complicated than that. And again, Tasha is a fucking survivor and you just put her down on a planet where these men feel entitled to just come up and grab you and be sexual and intimate with you. And that could be extremely triggering for someone who's a survivor. Yeah. So even if you're hypersexualized, like there is still, which can be a reaction to sexual assault, like there's still considerations to be made and it doesn't mean that someone's not being triggered just because sometimes hypersexuality is like a reaction to being triggered. Right. Yeah. So just, just the clumsiness with which they handle this and it's just, it feels just very boys club that it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, imagine a future where genders are equal so we can just fuck any chick we want and it's okay. And we never have to worry about it being like sexual assault. We don't have to worry about consent because like everyone's down you know, and it's like, this is the fantasy that they have. Yep. Not like sex can certainly be part of a fantasy, but not like this world where it's like, oh, everyone's like held and we have pathways for intimacy and we have really good communication. We have all these structures around consent and there's just freedom for people to do what they want or what they don't want uh-huh. at any given moment. Like Deanna could not have more clearly not been into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't stop. And then that's when they have this line that like no one does what they don't want to do. I made a joke about it in the recap. But it was very upsetting to me. Yeah. I've heard that kind of shit before from men. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, like I'm all about consent or, you know, I, I like everyone should be able to just do what they want. And it's like. Sure, but then there's coercion and there's like these other subtle, like, fine, maybe you're not going to make me fuck you, but you're still invading my space. You're not reading my signals. You're Uh not taking no for an answer. Like, you're still cultivating a space that is not safe. Yeah. And that is structured around sex. Yeah. And I have to think that no matter what planet we're talking about, asexual people would exist. You know, Uh people who are just not in the mood that day. Like, there would be Uh a lot of room for the fact that, like, 
autistic people would still exist, like people who don't like being touched without warning out uh-huh. of nowhere. Uh-huh. Um, and it just bothers me. It's just the show yet again. Every planet represents like one very narrow viewpoint of a thing. Yeah. Instead of actually examining what an entire culture based around this thing would act- would look like fully. So it's like everyone wants to fuck, so everyone's fucking, and we never have to like deal with the other side of that, which is that some people won't want to fuck sometimes for whatever reason. Some yeah. people won't ever want to fuck, and like, how would that be dealt with in this society? And you hit on that idea with consent that they just you know flub up so much in the episode um, because it is like a good line. Oh, nobody does what they don't want to do, but it's also delivered. So, as you said, in such a bizarre context, because I even wrote down that, oh, I like that idea that nobody has to do what they don't want to do. But then as you're watching the rest of the episode, you're like, I don't know, I, I don't get the sense that that's true. And it it reminds me of just the way that consent gets treated as a objective. It's like a mm-hmm. thing that you get to. So the goal is to get the consent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's a singular one-time act as opposed to consent being first and foremost an approach to another human being um, that extends to way more than even just physical intimacy, but even like the types of things that you might talk about or the jokes that you might make or the, you know, the the, the questions you might ask someone that you'd even just very basically want to say, hey, is it okay if I ask you about your family or... Um, oh, you mentioned something about your your sister. Do you want to talk about that? You know, like that's that's consent. And exactly. And this episode just shoves everything in your face. And it's as you said, everyone's supposed to just be like, oh wow, <laughs> wow, look at this planet. Wow, we can just do whatever we want. And it's like, no, but you can't. A, you can't, and also you don't need to do anything. And it, it, it's almost like you're sort of obliged or else there's something wrong with you, which Riker even does to Worf where he's like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, why aren't you down with this? And Worf's just kind of like, this is not my scene, dude. And like, I I mean, the the most generous way I can describe that is that he's just like, this isn't, I'm not into this. And it's sort of like, well, Riker's like, well, what's wrong with you? You know? Um, And it, it also reminded me of that trope that I hate so much in movies where they joke about consent being like having to get out this contract and write out this big contract and all this, you know, again, with this idea that consent is like this singular thing as mm-hmm. opposed to an approach to somebody that evolves over time. Um, and yeah, this episode does not in any way do anything for sex except what's harmful, violent, and kind of disgusting. Yeah. I completely agree and that was the issue i had to i kind of already commented on it but just the scene with wesley as Uh well because that Uh was an interesting opportunity to say okay wesley is very clearly expressing that he's not ready Uh and he's uncomfortable yeah and and so it was a good opportunity to see like okay well what would that look like what would this consent-based culture look like with someone who does not want to participate sexually Uh and this is what we got. This is a guy's idea of consent is a girl saying, I want you to teach me something that only you can teach me. Do you want to do that? And Wesley keeps being like, no, <laughs> like yeah. I think you're talking about sex and I yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah. 
And then she's like, oh, I just mean playing ball. And it's like, that is like grooming behavior. That is part of how, and I don't just mean grooming for like children. I mean, just predatory sexual behavior in general. Yeah. Part of what people do, and I've had this happen to me and autistic people are particularly, autistic people and children are particularly vulnerable to it is that you constantly keep the other person not quite sure what you're talking about. And you keep trying to make them consent to things that they're not fully sure they know what they're consenting to. And then this creates a pattern where the person's a bit off kilter and you've just made that it usually makes the other the victim feel, you know, immature and childlike. So in order to prove that they're more mature, they go, you know, start agreeing to stuff and going along with stuff. And I just was like, <laughs> this is so ridiculous to me that this is happening right now and happening in this way that this girl wouldn't just say like, oh, it's okay. Like, you know, you don't have to do any of that stuff. We just want to hang out and get to know you better. Why don't we play a game? I heard that you guys have games with balls, (laughs) which, you know, could be a fun little innuendo. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, but you know "Hmm." what I mean? Like it could have just been this conversation where she's like, Oh yeah. Like I, I understand your culture. Young people maybe aren't doing this stuff yet or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, why don't we just be friends? Like we can just hang out and we don't have to do anything. And if you want to do something, let me know and we can talk about it. Yeah. But otherwise, like everything's going to be not sexual. Yeah. And that's not what happened. She just kept being vague and uh-huh. weird about stuff until she finally told him. And I'm like, this is how so many people think consent works. Yeah. Yeah. And it's written that way to make us laugh. Like we're supposed to yeah. think it's funny that Wesley's so awkward, you know, and, and, and you do at first when you're watching it and you see Wesley's face, it's awkward and it is funny, but then you realize it's like, wait a minute, this isn't really funny. This is just kind of gross mm-hmm. and creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there are probably a million other things. Is there anything in particular that um, that that's jumping out at you that uh, we might want to pick apart here? Well, I mean... Do we want to talk about how this is like a planet of Aryans and how weirdly eugenics this whole thing was? Oh, wow. I, okay, you, you you got me on that one. I did not make any notes about that. So from what I noticed, everyone was white. Everyone was blonde and blue-eyed, uh-huh. healthy looking. Uh-huh. There are no disabled people. Oh, right. There are no fat people. There are no old people. I was like, I'm getting, like, did Hitler co-write this episode? What the fuck is going on here? And I think it's, I don't think it was, like, an intentional thing, but I think it's, like, white supremacy showing its, you know, white supremacy living in the defaults that we assume in life. That's why just from the show description, I was like, I feel like I can talk about this forever because I think the writers heard a planet of healthy looking people and to, well, and casting and whoever else, you know, there's probably more than just the writers involved, but that translated to them to like white, thin, able-bodied, blonde, blue-eyed, 
and mostly young. I think we saw one old couple, but they were like very fit and very active looking. And I just started to think, I'm like, where are, where's everyone else? Like, do you kill them? Like, like literally, that was the first thought I had is like, I'm, I'm feeling like if someone's fat or someone's old and like disabled or whatever, like, I feel like you guys just kill them. Like, where, where are these people? And it was very upsetting to me to see that this is the representation they had in their minds of like, if there is a planet of healthy people, what would they look like? And it's like, they'd look like Hitler youth. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is going on here? And that's why I felt especially bad for Michael Dorn slash Worf in this episode, because it's like, not only was all this gross Like, not only was he being sexualized as, you know, someone who's coded, like, Michael Dorn is black, but, like, Mm -hmm. Worf is coded, Klingons in general are kind of coded black. Yeah. Um, So he's being, like, sexualized in this very, like, white woman fetishizing a black man sort of a way. Right. And then Riker fetishizing black men in a sort of way. Mm -hmm. But also, he must have just been looking around, like, where... Where in the fucking Germany did I just get landed? Like, what is going on here? Yeah. And I just, I found it very disturbing. And it's something that if they had wanted to, and if the writers were better politically and also better writers, um, (laughs) it could have been interesting to explore that. Like, for one of the crew to be like, you know, there's no disabled people. Like, where... Like, what's going on here? Because I think they want us to think that, oh, because everyone runs everywhere, everyone's just healthy. Uh And it's like, but that's not how life works, right? That's not how bodies work. Some people are born with stuff. Some people get sick despite whatever. Some people are in amazing shape and are also fat. Like, every, you know, and I have to think on a pleasure planet where they're having sex and free love and all this stuff, they probably also love food and they love drinking or... Who knows what? I mean, I guess they were puritanical in other ways, so maybe not. But uh, I just, I was like, this is feeling very fashy to me. Yeah. And I'm quite uncomfortable. Well, and, and even to that point, they would love all types of bodies, too. Yeah, of course they would. Because it would be would. really boring if all the bodies were the same. I mean, on Pleasure Planet, you'd expect like to get a huge diversity of physical features and, you know, height and weight and, and you know, colors of mm-hmm. hair Everything. And everything. And, you know, the, the point... Now, I don't want to take this in a different direction, but you just helped me understand a point that I was struggling to put words on, but that really frustrated me about this episode. And it was when they were dealing with this, the the punishment conversation that they were having, saying that, oh, nobody does anything wrong because the punishment is instant death. And I was like, that is the laziest, stupidest... <laughs> explanation because as you pointed out just like you're gonna have people who are who can't run or people who are in different bodies or people you know who look different uh, people who are old you're also gonna have people who are are addicted to things or people who have uh, who are neurodivergent you might have people who are potentially psychopaths you might have you know and this idea that suddenly everyone's going to just behave in this particular way because we're going to kill you if you don't is so specious. It's just such a horrible like conclusion. And so either there's just like a pile of bodies 
out the back door a mile high, as you said, with everybody who's not in a physically conforming, um, you know, young, blonde, white, um, physically fit form, who also isn't neurodivergent, who also um, doesn't have any kind of addictive tendencies or anything like that, you know, yeah, we're just going to kill everyone. And they, but they never, but they never take that on in the episode. They just, yeah. we're all supposed to just suspend reality and think, oh, if we just killed everybody for the most minor infractions, <laughs> then, then none of, then none of those people would exist. And so, um, yeah, it, it's so I, I, I so I do feel like that's a separate point, you know, and you make I think it's connected, honestly, because that's part of what eugenics does. Right. Yeah. That's part of it is that you come up with some mechanism, doesn't matter what it is, uh-huh. to determine who is good and who is bad. Yeah. And you eliminate the bad element yeah. through that mechanism. And in this one, it was laws yeah the laws say anyone who breaks any law is killed Mm -hmm. and like you just pointed out you know we don't know like they say running is our way what so if someone can't run is that breaking a law right like it's a silly cheeky little thing because we're supposed to just see them as healthy they're so healthy they just run everywhere but it's like we don't know like that could be a law and that yeah. might be why we don't see any disabled people cuz anyone who can't run is fucking killed. Or what if you're a clumsy fucker and you you trip <sighs> I am so clumsy. Yeah, I mean you Nick you wouldn't last 10 minutes there. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> oh shit, I stepped on a flower. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. But like I was like, um, excuse me, <laughs> on behalf of clumsy people everywhere and my sweet baby boy Wesley, who's yeah, a little klutz, yeah. like, hello, you're gonna kill someone because they like literally like had an accident. Also, the, it they didn't build that out because if that was mm-hmm. the case, you would have such a massive surveillance culture. And yes. this was so I'll, I mentioned this in the recap. I can come back to it now. This idea of um, the random zones, random enforcement mm. zones. So there's this model. I only learned this like this weekend, actually, in a totally separate conversation. But there's like a model of prison architecture where if you build all the cells in a cylinder mm-hmm. and then all the cells have glass, like, like, you know, you can see through into the cell. And then you put an elevator in the middle with with glass that you can't see into, then basically anybody going up the, the the elevator in the middle of the cylinder can then see everything that's going on inside every cell. And so the idea is you don't need prison guards then because you never need to look because people are constantly being surveilled. Yeah, there's a name for that. Panopticon, is that, is that, that's what it's called, you said? Okay, okay. Yeah, so anyway, I, I got the sense, which would be like just a horrible way to live because you would be under just constant surveillance and the pressure of constant surveillance. And I'm thinking there's no way these people would be just like, you know, just chilling and jogging around in their little onesies, you know, (laughs) first of all, first of all, no one would be jogging in those outfits. I can tell you right now. Um, Or did you see the shoes they were wearing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, they were like gladiator ballet slippers, but like made out of like cork. And I'm like, there would be no, there's no, shock absorption in those yeah. they'd be slipping like you would break your toe in that yeah. it would slip and your toe would, you know oh yeah i was like so they couldn't even give them like reasonable footwear yeah or even just have them be barefooted 
you know, like if you're going to go, th- go that route, just have them be barefooted. But absolutely. I mean, I am not the owner of breasts, but I can assume that if someone is that they could tell me that running Dude. with the, with that, like a piece yeah. of like satin draped over your breasts would not be the most comfortable running. I can well, tell you. I don't have a dick or balls, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that that outfit would not feel good to run around in. I know. I feel I was just waiting for someone's nuts to like slip out because it was like, there's just no protection here. And from like dating people with penises and balls and just talking to them about what that feels like, you know, yeah. it just, the way that the costumes were designed, again, I could not get over that seam up the middle right. in this just very thin fabric because <laughs> I've had boyfriends who are like I have to choose is it on the left or the right, right. like where am I putting it and I was just like oh my oh. god and we can like see your whole penis like this is so it's very uncomfortable yeah but yeah I just think for everyone who has any kind of bits they just be bouncing around everywhere to be around very everywhere. uncomfortable yeah, um, which not to mention sweat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no. And okay, can we talk about vaginas for a minute? I need sure. everyone who's a costume designer to understand that a vagina, like we're we're not Barbie dolls. <laughs> it's not flat plastic down there. <laughs> having a vagina is kind of like having a mouth in your pants, which I know is gross, but it's true. <laughs> And I was looking at this girl and I'm like, okay, there's no way she has underwear on. <coughs> they might have. I know there's Mike's dying right now. So I'm sorry. You just having a mouth in your pants. You just kind of, you just kind of lost me. Okay. Well, it's true. All right. All right. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's a little wetter than other times. Yeah. Sometimes weird stuff comes out of it. Sometimes it's fine. I, you know, it's just, I know it's more wily. than I ever thought I would know about ovulation and, um, See? you know, yeah. And, and different states of vaginas at different times of the month. Yeah. So yes. And this person is wearing this, like, I don't know if it was satin. I don't know what those costumes yeah, were made out of, but made an of. extremely thin material uh-huh. with what seemed like could not possibly be having underwear on. Oh yeah. No, no. And I know they have these like pad things that they can put. I know this from watching Skinamax and sometimes the bad ones would show the like covering. So there's like a pad thing they can put over. But that's the actor. Like in this culture, we're supposed to believe that everyone's just running around in these outfits with no underwear on. Yeah. And it's like there would be snail trails everywhere. Like this is not you can't. And it's like having armpits, like when you run, it gets sweaty down there. You know, it's like she just is looking at these outfits and I was like, how, who, it's just like such a male fantasy of what, you know, life on this planet would be. But it's like anyone with a vagina would know that there's just no fucking way you could live day in, day out in this kind of an outfit. Uh-huh. What do you do when you have your period? Uh-huh. Those costumes are so small. I'm like, even a tampon, the string would be hanging out. Like, you would see it. Like, do they not have periods? Like, it's just the level. I, this probably is way out of left field for a lot of people. But to me, it's just like so, like, such a sign of the patriarchy that, like, the just logistics of having a fucking vagina are never considered in costume design Uh this is not sustainable you can't run around Uh having like nothing protecting you Uh 
and and look good in an outfit like that. Uh-huh. It would be covered in sweat. Everyone would stink. Like everywhere you go, it would just be musty. Be like, what? The, and maybe someone like Riker likes that. Maybe that's a bonus. I don't know. But it's just so outrageous to me. I was looking. I'm like, I don't even know how the actress got through her scenes in that outfit. Like she must have been so fucking uncomfortable bending. Like when she kneeled down, I was like, her fucking coochie is just out right now. <laughs> This poor woman. <laughs> yeah. She's in front of Patrick Stewart like, acting her little heart out and her fucking like vagina is right there. Yeah. Anyway, rant over. But I just had to let everyone know that that's all I could think about the whole time is like what it would be like to have a vagina with no underwear, nothing protecting it in this outfit on a day to day basis <laughs> and what hell it would be. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Well, I mean, since we're on the topic, I... Do you want to talk about some dick and balls? Because I will have that conversation with you. Well, I mean, more broadly speaking, the Starfleet uniform as well. Like, if you get a boner in Starfleet uniform, I mean... Everybody's going to know. Everyone's going to... At least if you're down on that planet and you get a boner, people are going to be like, hey, cool. You know what I mean? Like, it seems <laughs> like, like I've seen that a hundred times. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like if you're get, if you're doing that in the Starfleet uniform, like hello, I mean look out. Those uniforms do not cover anything. Also, are they a onesie? What if you got to pee really badly? Like what is the what is the peeing situation in these uniforms? I'm convinced everyone in Starfleet with a vagina just has a constant UTI and a yeah. constant yeast infection because first of all, everyone's wearing so much shapewear. <laughs> that alone cuts off a lot of like needed circulation to your nether regions Uh. and then yeah you must just have to hold your pee forever because you have to like get out of the onesie get out of the shapewear (laughs) it's take you a fucking hour to go pee yeah so you're probably just like fuck it i'm just not even gonna go (laughs) and then they and then you get a uti and then they all wear these like impractical loafers which i know i've mentioned before but i'm just like like, why Why is this the outfit of space? Like, I, I would expect the most comfortable-ass clothes, and... You would think... Yeah. Like, I'd be in sweatpants every day on that ship. Slap a communicator. I am in sweatpants every day. <laughs> and I don't care if I get a job in space. That's not changing. Yeah, I mean, that said, that would not do a lot for the boner situation, but still, I mean, you know, still. <laughs> at least you'd be comfortable. At least you could pee when you had to. Yeah, I just feel like genitals in space. Yeah, yeah, genitals in space, it's a complicated situation. I just want justice for genitals in space is what I'm saying. I think think that's that's not too much to ask. I mean... Because I just hate... It's it's just this male fantasy. It's like, uh oh, yeah, uh like, scantily clad and, like, it's right there. And it's like, yeah, but, like, on a 24-7 basis, that wouldn't be as sexy as you're thinking it would be. Yeah, that would just be problematic. And, I mean... You know, while we're mentioning things that are just ridiculous and absurd, <laughs> yes. why why do they have like the Google headquarters on that planet? Like, do you notice the building? <laughs> like every time they show the building, it looked like some fucking like Cisco Systems like corporate office or something. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. Just again, it was very funny. What? Well, funny but also disturbing. What their idea of like this culture would be. <laughs> Because I think they were trying to blend like, okay, what do we think of, you know, healthy and outdoorsy and natural? Yeah. 
with oh puritanical and these rigid laws and government structure like what and that's what they came up with yeah. was google headquarters yeah google headquarters <laughs> okay so what are the threads have we not yanked on yet <laughs> oh, god um i had a lot of notes about the ethics thing um but i also had a lot of notes about the god concept in this and I, like at first I was just kind of like, whoa, God showed up in this episode, which is kind of interesting. But I, I don't know. I just, at first I thought it was so cool because Data started referring to they, and I thought that Data was using they, them pronouns to refer to the God entity. But then it was like, oh no, it's just because it's a group of them, you know, when Picard asked. And so I was like, okay, so God is a him basically, who has this big <laughs> of course. booming voice. Um, sky Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yep, yep, the big Sky Santa. <laughs> and um, that that was kind of bothersome to me. And then there's this idea that suddenly uh, Picard and the Enterprise and all the crew are considered like gods by the people on this planet, which I think mm -hmm. is wild. And they kind of explore the absurdity of dogma but as we mentioned in the recap, the only people not adhering to dogma in a ridiculous way are actually the, the people with the crazy beliefs about capital punishment. And their faith in God is like slightly less disturbing. I, and I kind of thought this was going to be like a bit of a send up on God. But instead, in the end, like Picard ends up like praying basically to God. And yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like any of this at, at all. <laughs> and also, like, like we get no idea of the motives. Like, who is this God? Why has this God created this planet? Is this, like, a benevolent thing? You know, he's like, return my children and stuff. And, like, I would like to think that it's this alternate idea. I love the idea that God is, like, this kind of energy space orb that floats around and just, like, gives people great stuff and lets them live out... This, but that was clearly not the case because they had these absurd laws of capital punishment. And so I was just like, what, is, what, is, what even is this? And why are they trying to take on this God thing in this way? And I don't know. I was very disturbed. As, a, as somebody who has a lot of religious trauma and mm -hmm. emerged from a really horrible faith system, um, I was thinking about the line that we cannot allow ignorance of the law to become defensible. It was something like that, um, mm -hmm. that, um, that one of the, the guys with his penis hanging out said, and, <laughs> and um, really narrows it down. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> as someone recovering from religious trauma, that's a harrowing comment because that yeah. means that as you pointed out before, what are the laws? And if I, if I fuck up, right. I'm dead. And that is for somebody who's been in a cult or in um, conservative evangelicalism, um, you know, or like who's had any kind of connection with Theobros and Reformed theology and all this stuff. Um, you're you're thinking to yourself of how scary that is. And even in my church, they used to quote this verse all the time from the Bible: "Examine yourself to see that you are in the faith." And the idea is that you mm. should be constantly scrutinizing your every thought, every action, every word that you speak. And so you're surveilling yourself, and that doesn't make you connect with pleasure. There's no way. You actually like completely suppress yourself, and you suppress who you are, and you kill 
your instincts, you kill your sexuality, you actually like rip yourself from yourself in the most violent, horrible ways. And the idea that people could live in any kind of pleasure while also suffering death for the most minor of transgressions is just really it's 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 stupid it's it's just poorly it's just poorly thought out but it was also just like i was seeing that and i was just like this is my experience is so contradictory to what they're portraying in terms of how a society would be that was set up like this society is set up um yeah and 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 no one on this planet would be so relaxed no one would be happy and if they were smiling or whatever it would all be to cover up you know, some deep existential dread that they might be the next one to step out of line or do something. I feel like I had like seven different thoughts while you were talking and I can't remember any of them. Yeah, I I feel that the religious aspect was quite clumsy and I don't like when people... Again, this had just a very like... I'm in like a college... I'm in college, you know, freshman or junior year mm-hmm. or sophomore year, and I'm uh, writing a screenplay uh-huh. for a class kind of a thing. Uh-huh. It's just like, let me pull in all these little tropes and just throw together this little thought experiment. Uh-huh. Like, what if Puritans but sex? <laughs> and it's like, but there's a reason that Puritans were stringent about sex. Right. And it connects into what you just said is like, it is antithetical to a society like that to allow like I think that's part of I think you help me understand too that's part of why I hated them calling it playing at love yes and love yes it felt very big brother to me because it's like how can you have love and be playing at love and you know sharing love with people all day long and also accept that someone's gonna die for like no reason Uh uh-huh And be someone who would kill somebody for, you know, the mediators have to, like, actually carry that out. Yeah. And there's a reason that people tightly control themselves in these kind of systems. And it's because you have to think that anyone who is punished by the system deserves it. Uh And you can't have that if you have everyone practicing good consent and, you know, just enjoying each other's bodies and each other's company and just being, like, in love and loving everybody, like... That is not a society in which you're going to accept that someone's going to just be fucking murdered no. for like tripping over a railing no, or whatever. I mean, the irony is that the fence was put up to create this random punishment zone. Exactly. But it's the fence that Wesley tripped on. Exactly. <laughs> if it wasn't there, he probably would have been fine. And and that's the thing. The, the barriers create the sin, if you don't mind mm-hmm. using a religious Oof. word. I love the that. barriers that you put up there, are the ones creating the sin. And, and, and I lived through people gaslighting me spiritually my whole life saying that the greatest pleasure is God and you don't know pleasure unless you know God and that's the greatest joy and everything. And meanwhile, you're just like desperately trying not to screw up because that same God who's going to give you all this great joy and pleasure is also going to send you to fucking hell if you trip over a metaphorical gate. And by the way, all these different- I mean, aren't girls literally called stumbling blocks? Stumbling blocks, yeah. You gotta cover up those boobies, man, because you're gonna send your brothers to hell, you know, uh, or sisters, or, you know, 
siblings. Well, we don't acknowledge that. We don't that, acknowledge though. that, right? That can't exist. It, it is. Because yes. you're going straight to hell for that exactly. regardless. Exactly. Yeah. And so then I'm supposed to believe that this person or Ugh. this being, well, this this man, I should say, because God is male um, in this context, <laughs> that, that this father God is going to give you all these lovely, wonderful things and also at the same time send you to hell for screwing up. And... It's just so, it's so confusing. You wouldn't see happy young people and you wouldn't see like, you know, adults relaxing into their, their pleasure and their sexuality um, or any kind of hedonism. You would just see a totally different world. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. It, those two things can't coexist, you know. So fuck you, John Piper. Fuck you, John MacArthur. Fuck you, Mark Driscoll. Um, you can all go to metaphorical hell because you cannot be so happy and have all this great joy with this person who's going to send you to hell at the drop of a hat. So, yeah. you know, anyway. Exactly. And like, there's just so many questions. Like, do mediators run around and fuck everybody? Yeah. Is that ethical? Yeah. You know, someone who could kill you if something happens also can just fuck you whenever. And can you not consent? Right. Like, can you really tell a mediator, no, I don't want to have sex with you? Because they got the death syringe right there. Yeah. On them at all times. Like, that's what I mean. There's just so much inherent violence in this episode. And I know that the men who wrote it just did not see any of it. Right. They really thought that this was all interesting and fine. And that is just so disturbing to me. They thought, exactly as you said in the recap, they thought this was the space version of the trolley car problem, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why... Yeah, let's navel gaze for a bit. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Let's throw some titties in there. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And 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 you've got, like, Picard with this, you know, like, um, supposedly, like, superior moral reasoning, you know, when he says, like, I refuse to let arithmetic decide questions like that, you know. Okay, Picard. But, like, it's just, that's just badly written ethics, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're yeah. supposed to, that's supposed to be definitive. His his line at the end about, like, um, moral relativism is supposed to be definitive because Picard said it. And, yes. it, and it's like, so that's the final word. So then the God thing is like, oh, okay, well... <laughs> I mean, John Luc Picard's asking for it, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he's also space daddy, so I guess I gotta I guess give I it gotta, to him. You know, defer to my brother here. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. And there is also what very much disturbed me about this episode was there is this. They didn't actually get into it as much as I had thought. I remembered they did, but there's this understanding that because Beverly is part of the crew uh-huh. that then the prime directive comes first. Uh-huh. And I know that technically Wesley now is an acting ensign, but he hasn't been through Starfleet. He's not, he doesn't have any of the training for this. So I felt like there was a very gross, I, I feel like part of Picard being so cold to Beverly was like, well, you know what you signed up for? And it's like, well, she didn't sign up for her son to be executed on a planet no. on a, away team that you put him on without even asking me. I mean, to be fair, Beverly seemed thrilled at the prospect and didn't object, but like Picard just sent him on this mission Uh and he technically has no fucking training. Uh And then he was sent off as a child. Uh He was sent to go play with the other kids. He wasn't 
on a mission. He wasn't doing work. He literally was just playing with other teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like there's this very gross. It, it's part of that like essentialist kind of logic that a lot of men who love authority get of like, well, those are the rules, though. And like this idea that a human being can sign up for something and quote unquote know what they're getting into Uh with every conceivable thing that could happen. Uh And then there's no space for them to have an emotional reaction when that thing actually happens in real life and isn't just theoretical. Uh I feel like this with celebrities and stuff too. It's like, oh, well, you know what you signed up for. And it's like, no one can possibly know what it's like to be hounded by paparazzi 24-7 and have the entire world weighing in on their every move, right. every outfit, every decision. Like, no matter what you think you're signing up for, there's just experiences that no human can actually predict how they'll feel in that moment. Of course. And so it's, again, part of this almost like connected to rape culture where it's like there's this rule and it's unbreakable And so it doesn't matter how you feel now. This is the thing that's going to happen. And I felt like that was the narrative with Beverly and Wesley is like, look, bitch, you signed up for Starfleet and this is the kind of thing that can happen. And it's like, this is nowhere in the manual. Like, this is not part of her training. (laughs) This is such a weird, specific, random thing that happened. And Picard was just being so cold to her. Yeah. And just so aloof and just not giving her, even if they sat down and he's like, look, Bev, I don't like I'm in a pickle here. I don't know what to do. Yeah. That would be fine because it's true. Like, according to what the show is telling us that the law, the laws that Picard is supposed to follow, he is in a pickle. Yeah. But he just was acting like, get away from me. Like, why are you even talking to me about this? You know, I'm just going to have to, like, protect the prime directive and that's it. Right, right. Like, And she's expected to be a good soldier and not have any, like, not bother him with her emotions and feelings about that and just accept that that's what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Which is ridiculous, too, because every mission the Enterprise goes on, it's them not accepting the consequences of their actions <laughs> right. and them doing anything to make sure that the entire crew gets back alive. Right. Which is of course where we ended up, but that's not how she was treated throughout the episode. And I just found it really bizarre. Yeah. I, I found that the, the role of Crusher in this episode was just so odd. To, like I, I didn't understand why they shoehorned that storyline as well into it. Like it just, Mm-mm. this episode was like eight different themes just mooshed into one episode where you just couldn't really figure out what's going on yeah they didn't even have a simple callback to her being like oh you know this is my fault because i pushed for surely yeah yeah like at least i would have shown some consistency like them understanding because i i was thinking okay maybe this is somewhere where it's gonna go where bev's gonna be like oh maybe i shouldn't be i don't know (laughs) or like Someone would have the realization of like, oh, maybe we shouldn't take vacations on brand new planets that we know nothing about. But it felt like none of that came through. No. And it was more like, let's, this is like the life of a Starfleet officer. And this is the life of a Starfleet captain. And this, these are the kind of tough situations that tough calls that we have to make. And it's like, no, this wasn't a tough call you had to make. This was a weird, unnecessary situation that you got yourself into just by being wildly irresponsible. And then at the end, go take us out of here. Number one, gladly, yep. sir. <laughs> yeah. oh. And, and what's the deal? I mean, 
while we're talking about absurdities, what's the deal with Picard's whole rant about like, oh, we used to have capital punishment, but now we're so advanced, we don't need that anymore. And then, um, you know, the, the, you know, loose vagina, loose penis people saying, um, <laughs> saying like, well, now all I can think about is was just, that slut shaming? Was just flapping around. <laughs> no, I don't mean loose as in morals. I mean, like, I, know, I mean, I like physically free. <laughs> they are, they're, they're flapping but, everywhere. But they're just, they're like, oh, you are more advanced than we are. I'm like, no, 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 they're not. This whole, this whole idea that Starfleet, and you brought this up, I, I can't remember, I think it was in episode one or two, you brought up this same idea that like somehow humanity has evolved beyond this point, so we don't need this anymore. And when we were talking mm-hmm. about reconciliation and things like that, like, oh no, we don't ever need to, to reconcile with any past behaviors. We already dealt with all this. We're evolved now. You know, get with the program, guys. The, and did you catch that Picard made a weird, I read it as a joke. I don't know. Like it came off as a joke. I don't know if it was intended to, but when, um, <clears throat> I think it was Leotor or one of the mediators said basically that like Picard should be punished and should be executed because like if he breaks the prime directive. Oh, right. Yeah. That would be him breaking, you know, breaking his in laws. their minds. Like, yeah, you're breaking your laws. So like you should be executed. And Picard's like, well, Starfleet's going to basically do everything. But right. And I was like, because, you know, he's like, they take the prime directive really seriously. And he's like, they won't execute me, but like they'll come pretty close. I just thought that was so weird. Yeah. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like. What does that mean? Like, you'll be in prison or you'll just lose your job? Like, what are you talking about, Picard? What what will happen to you? Yeah. You break the prime directive every other episode, so it's very hard to take this comment seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like, he broke the prime directive in this episode, and he does not suffer any consequences no. from it. No, it's just like, okay, let's go. Let's get out of here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there had to be a report. Yeah. There were reports already being submitted, so mm-hmm. how did Starfleet not be like, bro, uh, did you let a boy die or did you break the prime directive? Like, yeah. Update needed, please. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was very weird because, yeah, in this episode where he's very much talking down on capital punishment uh-huh. and basically trying to assert that they've evolved beyond such barbaric things and have this, like, great system now, uh-huh. but then is also, like, casually... <sighs> Is making like a joke basically about the punishment he'll face in his job. Yeah. For what? breaking the rules. Yeah. And again, it just establishes Starfleet as like this paramilitary installation. We do what of, we like, want when we want. Yeah. Cause to me, I'm reading, I'm like, okay, so are you going to get court martialed? Is that what you're saying? Right. For breaking Clearly this, not. this law? Yeah. Clearly not. Yeah. Anyway, it just was a very bizarre. And, and, you know, I have um, a friend, Koch, what's up, Koch, if you're listening, um, who brought up that there's so often, there's so many interesting aspects to the world building that just are not explored. Yes. And this was an episode where it's like, okay, please elaborate. Like, what is your actual yeah. criminal justice system? Like, what are we talking about here? Because even him bringing up the the seeds of criminal behavior, 
they're able to detect seeds of criminal behavior. Yeah. And then he insinuated that by detecting those seeds, they're able to stop the criminal behavior in its tracks and not let it get to a place where they would need to execute someone. That's how I read it. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, we're very good now at detecting these seeds of criminal behavior, so we no longer need capital punishment. And I was like... But, what, Ooh, but why? What because does that mean, you have an inter- a system of interventions that are humane and just? Or yeah. because you have enforcers who go up with the death vial and just like, you know, pop it into somebody's neck and there you go. Right. So like what 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 happens? Is it restorative justice? Is it transformative justice? Or are you fucking killing people? Mm-hmm. Or are yeah. you, well, I guess not killing people, but are you imprisoning people yeah. who show signs of criminal behavior early on and then more largely if we're living in this kind of socialist i guess we could say ish future where money doesn't exist anymore and people have food and they have shelter i'm really pissed that there was no conversation about the fact that that is what actually reduced crime right yeah tremendously because and and also a conversation about the fact that like crime in general is defined by the ruling class crime is established in order to protect property yeah so a lot of crime isn't actually crime it's just stuff people say like it's not it's not a crime to anyone for someone to like sleep on the street Uh right if they don't have somewhere to sleep but that's something that's been made a crime Uh by the state by the city in order to police homeless people or in-house people it's a white fence built up around our flower garden exactly which they never really do yeah Hmm. yeah so it's like what that's the kind of conversation that would have actually been interesting to have is please more details on what this future landscape of law and punishment looks yeah, like. Absolutely. And also like a conversation about um cuz this is what Koch was saying. Koch is like the replicators. Like we know that there's food replicators. But we never talk about like what happened when they were first introduced and how did that change yeah. everything for people? Yeah. And, you know, we never talk about their clothes, like their clothes don't seem to be replicated. So where do they come from? Yeah. And the fact that they're often transporting raw materials, it's like, well, what raw materials for what? For what? And why from can't where? you replicate more? Yeah. Like, why can't you replicate more stuff? Yeah. Why do you still need this many things? You know, just so many things where it's like, it would be really interesting to know more and have this more established. And I can say from any of the more modern shows that I've watched and modern, I mean like current modern, like today, they don't talk about any of this still, Mm -mm. you know? Mm -mm. So I don't know. I haven't watched like deep space nine and the Voyager and enterprise. So maybe they explore some of this in one of those stay tuned for, 10 years from now when Mike and I are <laughs> when we've gotten through all the seasons of uh, TNG. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But anyway, it just, it just, they keep doing this. They keep dropping these kind of like huge mm-hmm. philosophical bombs in our lap mm-hmm. and then just walking away and not, not elaborating. Yeah. And I really want to know what the fuck Picard meant by, Detecting seeds of criminal behavior. Yeah, I mean, that's like not a throwaway comment. Meanwhile, we can spend tons of time with him moralizing in like, you know, high school, you know, intro to (laughs) 
philosophy <laughs> class style, but he'll just drop this statement about we can detect seeds of naughtiness, and then all of a sudden, it's you know we're just we're meant seeds to just accept that you know like oh yeah yeah seems yeah. legit oh yeah okay. It's like, do you still have prisons? Right. Where are the prisons located? Yeah. Do you have prisons on ships? They have a brig, I know. I think there's right? a brig. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's so many questions, and yet they yeah. just kind of throw it out there and walk away. Like, there's not giant moral implications for exactly. what he just said in an episode that's dealing with giant, giant moral, moral implications. implications. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple words of wisdom for this week. I was wondering what you were going to pull out. I actually wrote one quote that I was like, this is a word of wisdom that I noticed. Um, I would love to hear what you got. So my, my first words of wisdom come from the beloved wharf who had to suffer through this episode. Nice planet. (laughs) (laughs) The delivery of that line, the like all, whatever was wrapped up in that. We were all just sitting there thinking that to ourselves too. Like, yeah, nice planet assholes like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i mean just again michael dorn what a treasure a treasure a treasure honestly the show did not deserve him he's just magical um i also have words of wisdom from wesley oh uh who's actually two i of course i'm with starfleet we don't lie (laughs) 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 with a flourish uh, uh, I loved yeah. it. Yeah, that's right, Wesley. No, Wesley, Picard lies a lot. You don't lie. Yeah. It's not because you're with Starfleet, right. Wesley. But still. We don't lie. We colonize. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But wise words. Um, but the final wise words of wisdom for me are also my episode rating for this week. Oh. Yeah. Do you tell? There's an overlap also. This is a hard one to rate. It's a hard one to rate. Also from Wesley. It was tough because I was going to rate it with with Troy's like, you know, they're sensual and happy. And then I watched the episode. And I was like, fuck this episode. OK, that's not my rating. <laughs> um, so I, I, I rated it with Wesley when um, all the adults are talking about how they're just ready to go back to the headquarters and bone down. And Wesley <laughs> goes, maybe I'll just go on ahead. And so, and so wise words. I love that. Wise words. And also the rating for this show. Maybe I'll just go on ahead to episode eight here. <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah. How about you? Do you uh, have any words of wisdom and or ratings? So I it was funny because like I had uh I've started pulling screenshots while I'm watching the show uh-huh. for Instagram for later. Uh-huh. And I pulled so many screenshots and clips from that. So I had a lot of quotes and stuff that I like, but like within the context of the visual. Ah, yes. Anyway, I was surprised like I didn't have many quotes that I actually liked. One I did like from Picard is, why has everything become a something? God, I'm fucking it up. (laughs) I know the the one you're talking about. Start over. Why has everything become a something or whatever? (laughs) That was actually quite funny. (laughs) That's the mood. Um, My word of wisdom, which I chose to pick one for this episode, but it was probably unwise of us to attempt to place the human colony in this area. (laughs) By Data. Thank you, Data. (laughs) I was like, in this, in every area. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And then for me, what I really loved... um, 
from an autistic perspective was, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, Picard told Data to stop babbling. Oh, yes. And then they had this whole conversation and then they had like a follow up conversation later. And I was like, if literally anyone ever wants to know what the autistic experience is like, just play them this conversation. The largest and closest. Data, don't babble. Babble, sir? I'm not aware that I ever babble, sir. It may be that from time to time I have considerable information to communicate and you may question the way in which I organize it. And then Picard yells at him to organize information to brief responses to his questions and asks him a question. Data gives him a very brief response and then he immediately tells him to elaborate more. Please, organize it into brief answers to my questions. We have very little time. Do they accept our presence at this planet? Undecided, sir. Data, please feel free to volunteer any important information. And I was like, that is literally what being autistic feels like. You're just like, what the fuck do you want from me? Yeah. Like, I have all this information. I think it's all equally relevant. I'm trying to give it to you. You're getting annoyed with me. So then I try to give you less information. And then you're annoyed because I'm not giving you enough information. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, this is how I feel all the time, every day. Beautiful. I love that exchange. And I loved Data's response of like, sometimes I have a lot of information I need to convey to you. But mm -hmm. it's not babbling. It's all the stuff you asked me for. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Ex oh, oh, Data. And then they have when Data comes into his um, quarters later and they're having that like philosophical discussion. Uh -huh. And Picard apologizes for saying that Data babbles. And then and Data's like, well, what what level of like information or communication do you want? And Picard's like, I just want you to speak freely, like whatever you want to say. You sent for me, sir? Let's have more talk, Data. Yes, sir. Sit down. What level of communication, sir? Any. My apologies for saying that you babbled. But I do, sir. You also see things in a way we do not, but as they truly are. I need help, my friend. Anyway, it just, it, it again, was very, like, that is also a very autistic thing, is to constantly be like, well, can you give me some parameters so I know how to act in this situation? Mm. And neurotypicals are constantly like, no, just, like, Let's just, do just whatever. Cool, you and know? you're like, just relax. but every time I do whatever, then you get mad at me. So yeah. can you just give me some parameters? Tell me what to anyway, do. it was still, it was a nice conversation. I felt like uh. I'm glad that he apologized to data and it, it was a good conversation, but it also was just very funny high view of like, this is such an autistic experience yeah. of like, yeah. people just keep getting mad and it's like, I'm just doing what my brain knows to do. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if you want something different, can you just tell me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Neurotypicals hate giving you like parameters, instructions. Mm -hmm. They hate, you're just supposed to know. It's kind of like Tashiar with the common sense laws. It's right. like, okay, this might be common sense to you, but it's not to me. Yeah. You know, my brain doesn't work this way. Yeah. Yeah. And then my episode rating was very hard to pick, Ooh. but I think I finally nailed oh, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> episode rating, 
It will startle you. <laughs> Damn it, that's way better than mine. <laughs> uh, it certainly will startle you. <laughs> it will startle you. Also, shout out to Koch because we had a whole conversation in Discord about Wesley's sweaters. Mm. Um, Koch calls them jumpers. Ah, uh, yes. And... Uh, it, we've decided that it's headcanon that Wesley knits his own sweaters because they look very handmade. <laughs> and we feel like that's that's a thing Wesley probably would do. Mm-hmm. He, he would, would knit his own sweaters. He would knit his own sweaters. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and I wanted to shout out Wesley's tasteful, understated brown sweater in this episode. Yes. It's not a showstopper like the orange one, Mm-mm. but it's quite fetching. Yeah, yeah. And a nice contrast to... Everything else being worn in this episode. <laughs> I know Wesley could not have been more covered up. So, a, a fun fact for you: I discovered oh, upon a little bit of uh, research that this was actually the second most viewed episode of TNG <sighs> season one, and that is wild. To yeah, me. only the pilot had more views on the Nielsen ratings. So I don't know if it was like. I don't know, like a football game got canceled or something and, <laughs> and people accidentally flipped the channel over to TNG or what and saw some like boobies and were like, oh, what's this? Um, but yeah, apparently it, it everyone rated it incredibly low except Will Wheaton, who gives the episode a B plus, <laughs> which does well. make me, yeah. So Will, um, Will, Will never hear this <laughs> except in some fantasy world but if he ever does i would just be like can you explain the b plus i i don't know and maybe that's total bullshit maybe somebody made that up and put it on the internet to deceive me but well and i also wonder when because i know will has been on quite a journey dismantling the male gaze and learning mm-hmm. how to be a better human mm-hmm. and whatever so i also wonder like when in his life he rated this a b plus if if that's even true, mm-hmm. and if he would still read it a B plus mm-hmm. today, if he rewatched it, because let's be honest, his performance is amazing in this episode. I mean, he's always incredible. He's in a he's a great actor. Yeah, but but in this episode, I mean, the way he conveys the awkwardness, the way he stands up to Picard, that like, it's you know, it's it's it's, it's well great. done. It's well done. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if he's reading it B plus because of his performance, mm-hmm. I. Mm-hmm. I support that. I don't disagree. And I did like Wesley's entire kind of arc here Mm -hmm. because I do think it was nice to see a boy who's like, I'm not ready for that stuff. And it's nice to see a young person be able to communicate sexual boundaries and have that be fine for the most part. And not, there was no, like I said, I was really worried there would be like a Riker kind of like "Mm, make a man of you Mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't, you know, the the adults just left him alone and let him be. I think it's very rare to see a kid his age, a a male child his age be treated like a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's part of like the, um, the violence of the patriarchy is that boys don't get to be kids. Once they hit a certain age, they're supposed to be men Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to be interested in manly activities. And it was nice to see that he was allowed in the narrative to just be a kid Mm -hmm. 
And who knows why they did that. I find it very shocking that they did that. So I wonder if they were just worried about some kind of laws or something and they just wanted to like, or maybe Will Wheaton's parents had clauses in his contract that he couldn't do. Sir. I don't know. Because yeah. he has girlfriends in later episodes and he does kiss people. Mm-hmm. At least two, I think, if I remember correctly. So I don't know why. <laughs> It's just hard for me to imagine in this like hyper masculine, toxic masculine episode that they just left this sweet boy alone and just let him be a sweet boy. But, you know, for whatever reason, I like it. I like that there are kids who got to see a boy who's just like, I'm just not really into this. (laughs) Just kind of uncomfortable and being okay just saying that. And everyone's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did we do it? We did it. We said all the things. Holy shit. If you're still listening at this point, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> you yeah. you made it. That was a that was a and Well, it's long, but it's not as long as I thought. No. I thought we would need like three hours to get through everything. I did so. too, but we were on it. We were we were, we were fu- fucking our on warp it. core was really <laughs> <laughs> sorry. A little spit take there. <laughs> A little bit. I caught it just in time. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was stewing about it all weekend, too, uh-huh. so I guess I had time. I don't Me know too. how you... This was a quick turnaround for you. Well, I had. I ended up having a four-hour train ride, and so I had a lot of time to go back over notes. Oh, good. Yeah, and then I, I spent some more time today when, at, when I was having lunch. I had some time to just go back over notes and really think, because there was just... This is a hard episode to wrap your head around. So, yeah. yeah. And there's probably like 20 things we didn't touch on that we could have. Yeah. yeah. But I like what you said when we were talking before we started recording. You know, we're going to try. We always want to point out stuff that's problematic or do whatever analysis. But we also don't want to just keep doing the same analysis. Right. So, you know, there's certain things maybe we could have gotten more into, but we feel like we've already touched on that in previous episodes yeah. and so we'll try to keep like finding new ish things mm-hmm. to talk about yep. and we'll tie it back to work we've already done but we don't want to just be here repeating the same stuff week after week right. that won't be fun that would be boring for anybody yeah yeah so what are we looking forward to um for episode eight Ooh. so i actually don't remember this episode the battle enough to say something quippy about it yeah but we've got season one episode eight the battle where we meet the Ferengi again uh-huh. they apparently discover an old starship of picards and i guess chaos ensues i somehow i do not remember this episode at all probably once it starts playing i'll be like oh yeah this one but a lot of times from the description i'm like oh yeah i remember this episode and this one i just i don't remember i think i think people liked this one better you know like, like a lot of people i mm. think I, I read here and there a few positive remarks about it like saying like skip episode seven go straight on to episode eight um well, so hopeful yeah, so we'll see you know <laughs> we'll leave it on a hopeful note okay yeah all right y'all well thank you so much for joining us on this mega journey uh-huh. and we'll talk to you next time yep bye